Please open your Bible with me to the book of the Psalms. The Lord willing, the Lord enabling, will behold the gospel of our salvation there in Psalm 51. Now in this Psalm, Psalm 51, the Holy Spirit preserves for us the heart cry prayer of a believer who confesses his sin before God and begs and pleads for mercy. And notice the mercy asked for is based upon one thing and one thing only, the sin-atoning blood and perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ the Lord. Beloved, the only ground of mercy for sinners is found in Christ and Him crucified. And because of Christ, beloved, in Him we have plenteous redemption, the forgiveness of all our sins according to the riches of His grace, and a perfect, spotless righteousness acceptable to our Heavenly Father. Notice David does not seek to justify himself or defend himself before God. Rather, he comes boldly to the throne of grace as a mercy beggar to receive mercy and help for his great, never-ending need of God's grace. Now, as we consider these words in Psalm 51, I pray that you would make this your prayer. Indeed, beloved, this is our prayer before God. Now, I want us to consider these nine pleas for salvation, for justification and sanctification that David as a mercy beggar, begs before God. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Remember what we learned in our Sunday study? The Apostle ever so blessedly reminds us, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Beloved, we have God's own dear Son advocating for us before our Heavenly Father. What a great mystery. What a glorious gospel. Our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, is for us. And beloved, if God be for us, who can be against us? I want to make known unto God not some of my needs, beloved. I want to make known unto God all of my needs, all my requests. And we have his promise, beloved, that as we do so, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, here's the first plea, the first request this sinner makes. And, beloved, let's make this our request. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God. Jeremiah lamented there in the book of Lamentations, It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. O Lord, have mercy upon me. My friend, whether you realize it or not, you are in need of mercy. Indeed, every sinner is in need of His mercy. Now, none of us deserve his mercy. Rather, the only thing we are deserving of because of our many sins is eternal death. Remember what the wages of sin are? Well, the wages of sin is death. 
but, beloved, because of his grace and mercy to us, the unspeakable gift of God, eternal life is given to us through the doing and dying of Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's the difference between grace and mercy? Well, grace is God giving us what we do not deserve, giving us the unmerited, free, and sovereign favor of God. Beloved, we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what of mercy? Well, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. The sinner begs, Have mercy, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. We read in God's word how that he retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. We read in another place that our Lord is good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon him. Beloved, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And, beloved, that's loving kindness, is it not? You see, because of our Lord's glorious sacrifice, God can justly show mercy unto such sinners as we are in His sight. And His mercy springs forth from the covenant of His grace. You see, my friend, this redeeming mercy by the covenant of His grace, this salvation is not of Him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. He said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Therefore, he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. My friend, God's greatest glory is his sovereign mercy, and it's our greatest need. When Moses asked the Lord, show me your glory, Remember our Lord's reply? He said, I shall cause all my goodness to pass before you, and I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. Lord, show me your glory. He said, I will be merciful. My friend, God's greatest glory is showing mercy to sinners, and His mercy is my greatest need. That mercy, according to His covenant of grace, and that grace according to his loving kindness in Christ Jesus the Lord, his well-pleasing Son. Beloved, make that your constant plea before God. Have mercy upon me, O God. Isn't that what the publican prayed in the temple? Have mercy on me, the sinner. And God said of that man that he went down to his house justified rather than that Pharisee who bragged on himself and was condemned. But the publican, well, he condemned himself and was justified. Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy. Be merciful unto me, the sinner. The publican condemned himself, and God said he went down to his house justified. Now, I don't deserve God's mercy. Indeed, none of us do. But my friend, make this your constant plea before God. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness according to thy loving kindness. Now notice what else he prays. Here's the second plea. O God, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 
blot out all my sins. Now look down in verse 9. He says this twice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out, not just some of them, no, no, rather blot out all mine iniquities. Now it is true, it is true. We have a multitude of transgressions and we have a multitude of iniquities. Do we not? I've heard religious people say, well, I used to be a sinner. Well, my friend, I'm still a sinner. A sinner saved by God's grace, but I'm still a sinner. And so it is true we have a multitude of transgressions and we have a multitude of iniquities. For the word of God says how that there is none that doeth good. Indeed, there is none righteous, no, not one. But never fear, beloved, as a believer, as mercy beggars, our good and ready to forgive God has a multitude of mercy to pardon our iniquities and our transgressions. I like that prayer in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, where it sets forth that our God is a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Beloved, our ready to pardon God is abundant in mercy. Indeed, he's plenteous in redemption. My friend, since God delights to show mercy, and you're in need of mercy, why don't you ask for mercy? Why don't you just ask him? Lord, according to your loving kindness, blot out all my sins, blot out all my iniquities. My sinner friend, we never need fear, for he has a multitude of mercy to pardon us. Indeed, God can justly forgive us of all our sin. And the only way that our God can justly forgive all our sin is only through the effectual sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's the only way God can be just and Savior. The only way he can be just and the justifier of the ungodly is that the Lord Jesus Christ made complete satisfaction for all the sins of his covenant people. And who are they? Who are his covenant people? My friend, they are those who call upon God for mercy based upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone, on his, based upon his righteousness and his sacrifice, his body and his blood. And God can justly forgive our sin and still remain a holy and just God. My friend, that's the miracle and mystery of the gospel, how God can remain holy and just and yet show mercy to the sinner and not at the expense of his holiness. Now here's the sinner's third plea, verse 2 and verse 7. Wash me, wash me, truly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And in verse 7 it says, Purge me with hyssop, and this speaks of the blood sacrifice of Christ. Purge me with his precious blood. Lord, purge me of my sins, and I shall be clean. Lord, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. O oh Lord, wash me. Cleanse me. Make me justified in your sight. You see, sin makes us defiled in God's sight. Does it not? Oh, most certainly does. In Isaiah 64, it says, Of our righteousnesses, all of our righteousnesses 
are as filthy, ruined rags in God's sight. And our sin, our transgressions, our iniquities, and all our so-called righteousnesses defiles us before God. It says in Isaiah 59, verse 2, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. You see, our sins have separated us from God. We are helpless, utterly helpless, to wash ourselves from our sins. Try it sometime. Go ahead and try to cleanse yourself from your sins. My friend, we are helpless to wash ourselves from our sins. You see, only by the body and blood of Christ can we hear our Heavenly Father declare of your sin and mine, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You see, all of our works, all of our doing, will not put away sin, will not make atonement for sin. All the sacrifice given under the law, all those animal sacrifices, how much sin was put away with the blood of bulls and goats? None. Indeed, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. So sin defiles us. Sin separates us from God. And we are helpless to wash ourselves from our sin. Our works, the law, ceremony, they can't take away sin. But my friend, I tell you who does. The Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared once in the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Beloved, we are redeemed with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. You know, sin is the fruit of what we are. We are S-I-N, sin. And if we say we have no sin, well, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, the fruit of our sin nature is our sins, and our sins are ever before us. Verse 4, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You know what he's saying here? In effect, he's saying, Lord, if you justly condemn me, well, that's what I deserve. Now, none of us want what we deserve because, beloved, that would mean eternal condemnation. David is saying, in effect, Lord, I've sinned against you. And if you give me what I've got coming to me, well, I'll be eternally condemned. But, thou, but that thou mightest be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Now, here's our problem set forth there in the next verse. Here David tells us the reason why we're so so sinful. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now throughout the Word of God and in the Psalms, there are three things that are mentioned that describe who we are. Sin, that's what I am. Transgressions, and that's what I do. And iniquities. Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ put away our sin. He bare our transgressions, our sins in his own body on the tree. He took our iniquities to himself. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Everything that I am and all that I do, all the sin of God's elect was charged. 
imputed and reckoned to the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's tree. Indeed, our Heavenly Father made His beloved, well-pleasing Son sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. My friend, the only way God can justly show mercy and save us is because the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied the law and justice of God on our behalf. Wash me and cleanse me and make me whiter than snow. Now here's the fourth play, verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Notice he says, make me to know wisdom. Behold, thou desirest truth inwardly, in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Now by nature, all of our thoughts about God and sin and salvation are utterly and completely wrong. You see, just left to ourselves, all of our thoughts about God, as he says over here, if you look there in verse 21 of Psalm 50, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. You see, left to ourselves, we think too highly of ourselves, and we think too low of God. And so by nature, we think too highly of ourselves, and we think wrong thoughts about God until He's pleased to reveal unto us who we are. Who are we? Sin. S-I-N. From the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. And further, He also reveals who He is. Holy, righteous, just, eternal, sovereign. Beloved, our God reigneth. And so until God reveals that to us, all of our thoughts about Him are wrong. You see, by nature we esteem ourselves too much and our thoughts about God are too low. And so He must teach us the way of wisdom. He must teach us the gospel. For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, my friend, God must make us to know wisdom. God must make us to know Christ, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Let's turn to uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Wisdom, make me to know wisdom. It says here in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. The Apostle writes, indeed God's Word declares there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Beloved, this sets forth how he is made unto the believer. But of him, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, but of him 
of God our Heavenly Father are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, and here's that word wisdom, beloved, he is our wisdom, and he is our righteousness, and he is our sanctification, and he is our redemption. And my friend, if he's made all that to you, then you'll have no objection with the next verse, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory only in the Lord. Beloved, we glory only in him. Heavenly Father, make me to know Christ. Make me to know the wisdom of God revealed in the mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. My friend, we need the wisdom and revelation of God to understand his gospel, to understand Christ being the capital T truth personified. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now look at verse 8. Here's the fifth plea. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Make me to hear joy and gladness. What happens when you break a bone? Well, all you want to do is moan and cry. Just mourn and moan. And David is saying here, my bones are broken. I'm so deeply convicted over my sin. Lord, make me to hear joy and gladness again, that the bones that you've broken may rejoice. Turn my mourning into joy and rejoicing in Christ Jesus the Lord. Make me to know wisdom in the gospel. Make me to know wisdom in Christ Jesus and cause me to experience the joy of it in my heart. My friend, there is tremendous joy to be had in being made a believer. Lord, make me to hear joy and gladness. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Lord, make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is all my wisdom, who is all my strength. Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 8. Beloved, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his precious blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, we, we, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received reconciliation through the atonement. Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Here the Holy Spirit preserves for us the testimony of the true believer, who is circumcised in the heart, having the operation of God upon his heart, made a new creature in Christ Jesus. And my friend, this is the circumcision made without hands. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision, the true Israel of God, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. Lord, make me to hear joy and gladness in the gospel, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice again and again in the Lord Jesus Christ, your beloved, well-pleasing Son. 
You see, the bones that the Lord breaks, well, he heals. Indeed, he's nigh them that be of a broken heart and saves such that be of a contrite spirit. You see, the bones that he breaks, he heals, that we may rejoice in him now and forevermore. You see, those whom he wounds, he also heals. Those whom he convicts, he also converts in mercy and grace. Now, here's the the sixth plea. Verse 10, Psalm 51, verse 10. Create. Now, who's the creator? All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Create in me a clean heart, O God. God is the creator. God is the only one that can create a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create a clean heart in me. You see what's being said here? My friend, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is not us cleaning up the old nature. Salvation is not reformation. No, no. Rather, salvation is regeneration. Salvation is not education. Salvation is revelation. You see, it takes God to reveal God. God must do that work of grace in our heart. The power of God, the Holy Spirit, must reveal the way of salvation and create in us a new heart. You see that? Salvation is not us cleaning up the old man. Rather, it's by God creating within us a new heart and a new divine spiritual nature that was not there before. Beloved, all we could do before he saved us, all we could do before he saved us is love darkness and not the light. You see, we need God to create within us a new divine nature. Now, we still have that old Adam fallen nature that's nothing but S-I-N, just nothing but sin. And in regeneration by the new birth from above, that old nature's not eradicated. It's still an old, wretched man. But in regeneration, when God does a work of grace in the heart, he implants within the believer a new nature, a spiritual nature that was not there before. Peter put it this way. In Second Peter, he says, By the exceeding great and precious promises given to us through the gospel, we are partakers of the divine nature. Look what it says there in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 24. Beloved, put on the new man, which after God is created, created of God in righteousness and true holiness. Beloved, we have that new nature given of God that is holy and righteous and is as perfect as God because God can only give that which is holy, right, and perfect. And so because we still have that old, rotten, sinful nature of Adam, we say with Paul, Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? But in regeneration and in the new birth, we have that new divine nature given of God. And so within the believer, there's a war. There's a battle. The spirit 
lusteth and wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit and they're contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you really would. That old nature would go just as far as it could, but God restrains it. And the desire of that new man and that new nature is to worship God in every aspect, in every way, but yet this old man drives it down and we say with Paul, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question. And we ought to preach the God, we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves, beloved. Who's going to deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Renew within me and create within me a new nature. My friend, we must be born again. We must be born from above by that new birth that is the work of God. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. A new creation has taken place. This is the work of God. Indeed, salvation is of the Lord. Create in me this new nature and renew a right spirit within me daily. Beloved, though our outward man perisheth, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And so, Lord, create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a right spirit, a constant spirit within me. You do it, Lord, because I can't. Now, here's the seventh thing. Verse 11. Psalm 51, verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence. Cast me not away from thy presence. You see, after committing murder and adultery, David felt like, well, Lord, if you did cast me away, if you did cast me out of thy presence, if you did cast me out, well, that's what I deserve. But he pleads, don't do it, Lord. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not the Holy Spirit from me. Now, we certainly don't deserve to be in His presence. But it's our desire that we would be eternally accepted in the beloved Son of God, Christ Jesus the Lord. It is certainly our desire to be blessed with His presence, to enjoy sweet fellowship and communion with our blessed Lord and Savior. Cast me not away, Lord. Beloved, that's our desire, to be in the presence of our Lord. Indeed, our desire is to be with Him. Our desire is not to be apart from Him, but, oh, to be with Him, to be one with Him. Lord, cast me not away. Take me to Yourself, and take not Thy Spirit from me. Now, here's the eighth thing. The, the eighth thing. Verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation, and uphold me with Thy free spirit. Now notice it's God's salvation. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free sovereign spirit. Now David didn't lose his salvation, did he? No. Rather, God saves us with an everlasting salvation. The Apostle John said, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. But when you do, when you do, is God going to throw you out? No, beloved. When we do, when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. David didn't lose his salvation because of his sin, but he did lose something. 
he lost the sweet communion that he had enjoyed with the Lord. And certainly, because of his sin, that sweet communion was disrupted because of his sin. And it, re- and it grieved him so. You see, believers long for the joy that salvation brings to the soul. And it grieves our heart when that sweet fellowship is interrupted due to the rottenness of our nature. Someday, beloved, someday we'll just lay down this fallen, rotten flesh and be done with it. And we'll go to be with the Lord. And there we will be redeemed totally, utterly and completely from the presence of sin. And it will be no more. And we'll have a new body without sin, a glorified body like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think of it, beloved, to worship him without sin, to worship him without doubt. What a glorious day that will be to worship him without sin. Restore unto me and uphold me with thy free spirit. Uphold me with thy sovereign spirit. Don't let me go. Don't let me loose from thy gracious restraints. Beloved, aren't you glad that we're kept by the power of God? He's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation. Thy salvation. Now, we've seen that statement several times in the book of the Psalms. You see, it's Thy salvation. It's His salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. It's of Him. The gospel is of Him. Our righteousness is of Him. Our salvation is of the Lord. And it's of the Lord in its planning. It's of the Lord in its execution. It's of the Lord in its application. In its sustaining power. And it's of the Lord in His ultimate perfection. And it's of the Lord in His ultimate glory and grace. Salvation, beloved, all of it is of the Lord. Now here's the last plea of the sinner. Verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. You know, that expression rendered as deliver me also has the sense of this expression. Redeem me. And that's what redemption is all about. It's about being delivered. Lord, redeem me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. You see, beloved, we're justified with his righteousness. He is called the Lord our righteousness, and we've been justified by his righteousness. You see, as believers, we're no longer going about to establish a righteousness of our own, as Paul says of those ignorant Jews in Romans chapter 10. But rather, we are resting in the perfect righteousness that's provided in the gospel. That perfect spotless righteousness we have we enjoyed that we enjoy that's imputed to every believer and it's of Christ who is the Lord our righteousness deliver me O God of my salvation deliver me from my guilt you know guilt is a terrible thing I mean it just weighs you down guilty 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 can you imagine being charged with a crime of murder and sentenced and you go before the jury and they hear the case and they come back from the jury room and the judge read the judge reads the verdict guilty 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 what's the sentence 
death, death, death. What a weight that must be to be guilty before an earthly judge, but to be guilty before God? Oh, the weight of that. You know, the law says, let every mouth be stopped and the whole world become guilty before God. But think about this, beloved. The sentence of God Almighty to His covenant people, because the debt is paid by our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sentence is now justified justified, justified, innocent, not guilty before God and His sight by the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, He took my guilt. He took my judgment. He took the wrath of God in my stead. Therefore, my tongue shall sing aloud of Thy righteousness. You know, God doesn't ask us to produce a righteousness. You and I can't do it anyway. But he does, by his grace, graciously command us to receive the perfect righteousness that he's provided and that is found in Christ. The perfect righteousness which is of God by faith. By that faith that looks to Christ alone, who is all of our righteousness before God. Believers own what we are. And we confess that Jesus Christ is all of our salvation. Beloved, this is all our hope. Jesus' blood and righteousness is all our plea before God. Deliver me, O God, from my guilt. O God, Thou God of my salvation, and I'll sing aloud. I'm not going to be quiet about this. No, no. Rather, I'm going to sing aloud of Thy righteousness, because His righteousness justifies the ungodly freely by His grace. Believers sing aloud of that righteousness provided in the gospel. And you know what? It calms our troubled soul. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. It brings to mind that verse in 1 John. You turn there with me. What a miracle the gospel is. We all have an arrival date. We all have a birthday. And we all have a death day. We all have a day of departure. And that day of departure for the believer is set forth in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, ever so blessedly. There in verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness in the day of our death. Boldness in the day of our departure. How can that be? For a worm like you, and a worm like me. How on earth? Seeing that our sin is ever before us all the day long. Here's the gospel, beloved. <laughs> because as the Lord Jesus Christ is right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, accepted completely of our Heavenly Father, without sin, so are we in this world. <laughs> That's the miracle of the gospel. That is why the believer has joy. That is why the believer has rest. We're complete in Him. We are truly and completely washed of all our sins. But much more, beloved, His righteousness is our righteousness. I can't think of putting it any more strongly than the words that the Apostle was moved by the Holy Spirit to record here. 
as he is, <laughs> so are we in this world. Though I don't see it in myself, and I don't see it in anyone around, anyone around us. But beloved, this is the miracle of the gospel. As he is, so are we in this world. That's why we can rejoice in those portions of God's word where it declares to God's beloved people, ye are complete in him. <laughs> you lack nothing. Complete pardon of all your sins and a perfect, spotless, righteous record of a man is yours before God. What a glorious gospel it is. The gospel calms our often troubled and weary soul, does it not? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And then look there with me, beginning in verse 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11. This tells us about our great high priest. Hebrews 9, verse 11. Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. For the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. How much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, from dead works to serve the living God. Has your conscience been purged by the blood of Christ? Well, then sing aloud of His righteousness, for salvation is of the Lord. Psalm 51, verse 14. You know, often I'm, I'm asked the question, as many of you are asked, it's just one of those things we ask each other. How are you doing? You know, how are things? And uh, I've caught myself saying things like, uh, all things considered, excellent. But I think I have a better word <laughs> for you who believe on Christ. Uh, you don't have to turn there with me. I'll just tell you where I'm reading. If somebody should ask a blood-bought believer how they are, I think the most honest answer they can give, in Christ, how am I doing? I'm perfect. <laughs> Let me get this straight. You just got fired from your job, you have cancer, and you got six weeks to live. And how are you? <laughs> perfect. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and this is the miracle of the gospel. Only God's people believe this. There's no hypocrisy in this statement. There's no duplicity. This is the reality of the gospel. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, through 
that perfect man, that broken body, and that precious sin-atoning blood. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness, of thy perfection, of thy holiness. Amen.